0: All right, good morning. Good morning. So, if you're here last week, you know we started a mini series on a topic that affects every one of us anxiety. Uh, and I know uh, a lot of you guys weren't here last week, so I'm going to do a real quick recap of uh, what we talked about. Uh, we talked about how anxiety is, is so common in America right now that research indicates that one out of four Adults, every four adults will be uh, diagnosed with an anxiety disorder at some point in their lifetime. So, very, very common. You just think one in four, the average nuclear family, mom, dad, uh, son, daughter, one of those four is likely at some point in their lifetime to be diagnosed with a disorder. And if you were here last week, hopefully uh, you remember that I shared an embarrassing story that revealed uh, to some extent my own struggles with anxiety. Uh, I'm not going to share it again, but you can find it online if you want and listen to it there and uh, laugh about that. But I shared that story because I wanted us to feel like we can talk about our struggles with this issue without negative stigma. Now, we identified anxiety as the fear of what may happen. And the big idea that I was trying to Bring home last week was essentially this even though parts of the future are unknown to us, and even though parts of the future may include hardship, God does not want us to be anxious. The Bible is not naive about the fact that life can be hard and that aspects of the future may be hard for us, and yet we are told. Do not be anxious. And the scripture passage that we focused on was Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And last week, we identified in this passage three pieces of wisdom for how to move from a place of anxiety to a place of peace. And those three things were, remember that God is with us. He is a 24-7 loving presence who will never leave or forsake us. Closer than the air we breathe, he is always there. Remember that God is with us. Number two, ask God for what we want. Most of our anxieties are rooted in desire, and so what we need to do is recognize the desires that we have, and rather than denying them or suppressing them or ignoring them, we bring them to God, we turn them into prayers. And then number three, be thankful for what we have. We have to cultivate an attitude of gratitude, recognizing that God has already blessed us, even if we are in an anxious state, there are things that we have to be thankful for. So that's a quick recap of where we've been, and this week we're going to continue to focus on this question of what are the practical steps that I can take to move from a place of anxiety to a place of peace. Now before we go any further, I want to say something that I probably should have said last week, which is this, there's a lot of evidence that in some cases anxiety has a Uh, physical or hereditary component as its cause. Uh, And it's very important for us to recognize this. Uh, Our brains are physical organs and that means that, like all physical organs, they can malfunction. Uh, Sometimes when a brain is malfunctioning it has an improper balance of neurotransmitter chemicals and hormones and that can manifest itself as an anxiety disorder. It can either be the cause of an anxiety disorder or it can contribute to an anxiety disorder. And that means that for some people, a wise treatment plan for anxiety is going to include medication for some people because that medication is going to be able to help to balance uh, the, the imbalance of neurotransmitters and hormones. You know, most Christians would never say to somebody who has broken their leg, well... Think positively, pray about it, you know, do those three things. Remember that God is near and be thankful for what you have and ask God for what you want, but don't go to a doctor. You know, most of us would never say that, but for people who have injured brains in some way, sometimes we treat them that way. Uh, We think that they should just be able to do those things and not receive any medical attention and be fine. But the brain is a physical organ, just like our legs are physical parts of our body, and uh, we need to recognize that. On the other hand, though, we shouldn't always assume that anxiety is best treated through pills. Uh, For example, okay, imagine a man who is always on edge, always nervous, high blood pressure, he can never sleep at night, he's tossing and turning all night, sounds like he's someone who could use some pills, right? But then, let's say uh, we find out that this man is secretly cheating on his wife and running an illegal business. This is not a man who needs pills, right? This is a man who needs to confess and repent if he wants to experience peace. And, you know, he has good reasons to be anxious, right? The amount of energy that he has to put into hiding his sin, the fear that his sin might be revealed... Uh, all of that creates an incredible amount of anxiety, including the guilt that comes with that sin as well. And if we were to just give somebody like that pills, we would just be putting a Band-Aid on a broken leg, and it wouldn't be dealing with the real issue. Sometimes the source of our anxiety isn't uh, guilt or trying to hide sin, but just a tendency towards negative thinking. And in some cases, a pill might be able to help to correct that, But in other cases, simply learning how to think better is going to be sufficient, and a pill isn't going to be necessary or helpful. So when it comes to the issue of medication, here's the bottom line. Uh, There is no need for us as followers of Christ to reject medication as a possible treatment for anxiety. But at the same time, we shouldn't always assume that it's the best way to treat the problem either. But regardless of whether we have an anxiety disorder or not, regardless of whether our brains are malfunctioning or not, uh, today I want to offer some biblical wisdom on how we can deal with anxiety uh, regardless of who we are. Uh, I think this this is biblical wisdom that is relevant for all of us. So, you want to follow along in your own Bible, turn to the passage we were looking at last week. This is Philippians 4, uh, starting in verse 8. We're just going to continue where we left off. Philippians 4, starting in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So what Paul is doing here is he's making a connection between our experience of peace and what we think about. And what he's saying is if you want to experience the peace of God, freedom from anxiety, you have to choose to focus your mind on certain things. See, what we need to realize is that much of the time, our peace has more to do with what's going on between our ears than what's going on in the world around us. And if you find that hard to believe at all, There's a lot of research out there that supports this. Uh, I was doing some studying this week and I I found a very interesting uh, study that says that research tells us that richer countries have higher rates of anxiety in their population than poorer countries. Uh, It's actually remarkable how well supported that statement is, the study I looked at Uh, said that they had interviewed over 150,000 people from 26 countries over 12 years. So pretty, pretty thorough study. You would think that if anxiety was circumstantial, that the countries that would have the highest levels of anxiety would be the ones where people are less likely to have adequate medical attention, where people are less likely to have enough food to eat, less likely to be physically safe. But that's not true. That's just not what the data indicates. Um, And at least one major reason for that is because anxiety more often has to do with what's going on between our ears than in the world around us, in our environment. And what God is saying to us in Philippians is, you have some control over what goes on between your ears. You have some control over your thoughts. You have a choice about what thoughts and ideas you're going to dwell on. And that's why Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The only reason Paul can say that is because through the power of the Holy Spirit, we do have some control over what we think about. What Paul is essentially saying there is, change the way you think. Change the way you think. The world inspires us to think in certain patterns, and those patterns are destructive, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, our minds have this capacity to be renewed, to be changed, and those destructive thought patterns can be be changed, and one of the ways that we start to change those destructive thought patterns is by choosing to focus on the kinds of things that are described in Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Right? Things that are true, things that are noble, that are right, that are pure, that are lovely, that are admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Things like that. Now, I do want to clarify something important, okay? Paul is not saying that we should just be naive or ignorant about evil and injustice in the world, right? Some people could argue that this tells us that we should just ignore all that and have kind of a Pollyanna attitude about everything. Um, But but I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. Keep in mind, he does say, think about whatever is true, right? And it, it is true that there is evil and injustice and suffering in the world. And so we shouldn't play dumb about that. We shouldn't be naive. But as we talked about last week, that is only a small part of the truth about the world that we live in right? And sometimes we exaggerate it to an extreme and that's not healthy. When we really think about what's true, it includes the reality that this world is created by a God who loves us and even though it is broken and flawed, it is still filled with God's presence and God is working to redeem it. And one day everything is going to be brought to fulfillment in a beautiful way, right? That is part of the whole of the truth that we need to keep in mind, So, if we're struggling with anxiety, one thing we have to ask ourselves is, what do I think about most of the time? What thoughts do I choose to dwell on and entertain? What do I feed my brain? Am I renewing my mind, or am I letting my mind be conformed to the patterns of this world? And what I want to do this morning is identify three ways that we can renew our minds. Three practical tips for how do I renew my mind, how do I um, change what's going on between my ears so as to reduce my anxiety and be in less conformity to the patterns of this world. So I have three suggestions. Number one, we need to consider our media consumption. Now I did A little research on this topic this week, and I found multiple articles that said that Americans on average spend between 11 and 12 hours a day engaging with media. And media would be television, radio, um, internet, your smartphone, and good old-fashioned printed newspapers and magazines and that sort of thing. That's all media. Now, when I read this, I was like, how can this possibly be 11 to 12 hours a day because you're supposed to sleep for eight, so that only leaves about four. Doesn't anybody have a job? (laughs) Um, And I found that the, the headlines were not entirely honest because what they're doing there is they're recording the data in, I think, a kind of unfair way to account for multitasking. So say you were sitting at your computer browsing the internet while you were listening to the radio. If you did that for an hour, they would count that as two hours because it's one hour of radio use and one hour of computer use. So I don't know why they recorded it that way. Maybe because they wanted a shocking headline so that I would pay attention to their media. Right? But whatever the case, it's still a huge amount of time. And a better statistic I found that I think more accurately gives us an idea of how much time we're spending with media is from the Nielsen Company, which t- keeps track of uh, uh, television ratings. And they said the average American adult spends six hours a day watching a vid- video of some kind. So that video can be TV, sitting at your computer watching something, watching a video on your phone. Amer- and this, so this is not an inflated statistic. This doesn't do anything with multitasking. This is just strictly... Americans on average spend six hours a day looking at a screen watching a video. Now think about this, okay. If we are watching video for six hours a day, that's what we're thinking about for six hours a day. And we are are so in denial if we think that that's not gonna play a role in shaping the way we think and uh, molding us, you know. I think sometimes people downplay the effects of media but you think about if you were doing anything else for a quarter of your waking life, people would be like, man, that's gonna have a huge influence on you. you. know, If you spend a quarter of your waking life studying a new foreign language or something like that, people would be like, oh yeah, that'll make a difference. But six hours of media a day, people are like, well, that doesn't really do anything. You know? of course, it, Of course it affects our brains. Of course it affects the way we think. So we have to ask ourselves two questions, right? What media do we consume and how much media do we consume? We have to reflect on those things. So first, what we consume. Now, media is not inherently bad. If I got up here today and I acted like media is just all bad, one, I'd be a complete hypocrite because I take in media every day, right? And I think that there is media out there that we can learn from, lots of media that we can learn from. There's media from, that we can enjoy, uh, but we have to remember that if we feed our minds a regular diet of things that are not true, not noble, not admirable, not pure, not lovely, there is a very good chance that our, anxi- our anxiety level is going to rise. All right? What we put in, it affects our brains. Uh, and we are going to find ourselves lacking the peace of God. And we have to be so careful about this because I really think we have a tendency to be drawn to media that makes us feel bad. We, we have this twisted uh, compulsion to go towards the things that make us upset. And part of the reason for this is because our brains are wired to be on alert for threat, threats in our environment. That's part of the way God designed us, you know, because if you're outside, you need to be ready in case there's a bear. It's good to see that before it's on top of you so that you can get away from it. Uh, And so we have a tendency to have this um, inclination to be fascinated about anything that might be a threat. And one of the ways this tendency comes out is through addiction to 24 7 news. Some of us are watching the news all day long, but we're we're addicted to it. And the message that the news tells us, the way that it hooks us all the time, is by essentially saying bad things are happening, bad people are trying to do more bad things, and there's a very high chance that worse things are going to happen in the future. And that's what it tells you over and over and over again. And because we're wired to look out for threats we just can't stop paying attention to the media that's saying those things. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Okay? Again, I'm not saying stick your head in the sand, don't pay any attention. It is good for us as Christians to be informed and aware of what's going on in the world. But we don't have to have the news on all day. Right? We, we don't need to spend all of our time focusing on what's wrong with the world. All that's gonna do, right, is turn us into a quivering, anxious, angry mess. And most of the stuff that we're paying attention to isn't stuff we can do anything about, right? You know, if we wanna be any use in the battle against evil in the world, the best thing we can do is not to just sit there and hear about all the bad stuff that's happening the best thing we can do is spend some time thinking about the kinds of things that Paul is telling us to think about there. Reflecting on the goodness of God. you know, Reminding ourselves of the blessings in our lives. Reminding ourselves of stories of courage and love and sacrifice. So, we need to ask ourselves honestly, is the media that I'm consuming making me feel better or worse? Studies have actually shown that there's a correlation between high social media use and depression, uh, especially in young people. I mean, people are talking about it as if at some point it's going to have to come with a warning like cigarettes. You know, Like this can lead to feelings of depression. If the media we're consuming is making us feel angry and anxious, then we ought to try cutting it out or at least reducing our intake of it. And that leads me to the second thing we have to reflect on when it comes to our media consumption, uh, which is the uh, amount of media we're consuming. Because what what contributes to our anxiety is not just what we're putting into our brains, but even the quantity of it. You know, think about this for, for a moment. All that media that we take in, that six hours a day of video, that needs to be processed by our brains. And for most of human history, human brains have not had to process that much information uh, in any given day. Uh, According to a book called The Organized Mind, written by Daniel Levitin, in 2011, Americans took in five times as much information every day as they did in 1986. 1986, that's not even that long ago. That's, you know, the modern age. But five times more in 2011, and it's probably probably more now, in 2018. And there's there's a lot of evidence that taking in all that information creates fatigue in our brains. Like, our brains are only designed to take in and process a certain amount of information in any given day. If we take in too much, we eventually reach a point where our brains feel tired, they feel fatigued, and we feel just overwhelmed by the world around us. And that can lead to difficulty in decision making, and it can lead to anxiety. So if we're feeling on edge, maybe you're feeling anxious and you're like, I'm not really sure why. Ask yourself, how much time am I spending taking in media and try scaling back a little bit and try replacing some of that time with silence or with prayer right or with taking a walk or talking to a friend or a spouse in person right because we might just find if we just do those simple things we'll find our our anxiety level going down peace level going up because we're living more in the created design that God has for us. All right, okay, that's enough about media consumption. Let's talk about another way that we can work on renewing our minds. If we're struggling with anxiety, we need to remind ourselves of who God says we are. Remind ourselves of who God says we are at the root of so much of our anxiety and fear is is this sense that we are orphans in the world, that we are on our own, we are alone, uh, we have to take care of ourselves completely and totally, that there's nobody looking out for us. But we are not orphans in the universe, if we have placed our faith in Christ, scripture is clear that we are adopted into God's family. We, are, we become his kids. And since God is the king of kings, you could say, that makes us like spiritual royalty. That's who we really are. Ephesians 1.5 says, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now, you might be wondering, if you're a woman, well, why does God only adopt sons, right? It doesn't say anything about daughtership there. Does God only adopt sons? Well, uh, God does adopt daughters as well, but there is a a good reason for why it says we've been adopted to sonship, because in those days, it was only the son who was the heir to all of the inheritance uh, that the father had. So when God is speaking to people through this analogy in that time, he's emphasizing sonship, not because he's saying, daughters, you have no part in the inheritance, but because he's saying, you do have a part in the inheritance. You are seen as adopted as a son, because that means you are an inheritor of all the blessings that God has to offer. Um, So notice that it says that we have been adopted in accordance with his pleasure and will. And what that means is that God has adopted us. Why? Because he really, really wanted to. Do you believe that? You are God's child. Why? Because God really, really wanted you. That is the fundamental reason why. Not because you've done something, but because he wanted you. Have you ever known a couple that really wanted to adopt a child? I've known a couple And I I knew one couple who was so close to adopting, and right at the last minute, they realized that they couldn't have this child. And it was just devastating. And I think that, that picture of that longing, that desire to adopt that I saw in that couple, that is just a reflection of the kind of desire that God has to adopt us and for us to be part of his family. You know, if we've never really thought about that, if we've never internalized that, We need to, because when we see ourselves the way God sees us, it helps lead us to peace. But when we don't, and when we feel like orphans in the world, it leads to anxiety. I read a book in preparation for this message called Renew uh, by a woman named Julie Winter. And it had this great illustration in it of how uh, when we, we don't see ourselves the way God sees us, it leads to anxiety. So it told a story about a couple who adopted two young boys. And these boys had been mistreated. They had grown up in a family where there wasn't enough food. And so now they're in a family where there's, they're provided for in abundance. They have more than they could need and they have loving parents. But for the first two years that these boys were living in that house, At every meal, they would take some of the food and they would put it in a napkin. Because they had this fear that things were going to be like in their old house. And in their old house, you wanted to stash some food away because you were never sure when you were going to get some more later. And so it took two years of consistent meals before they finally realized, I don't have to store food in a napkin. And it took... Two years before, when their parents went to hug them, they didn't stiffen in fear, right? Because their experience wasn't that touch was a good thing, right? That it was an expression of love. It was, it was, not, it was not healthy. And so they went through a period of time where they had their needs met, they were loved, but they were anxious, right? Because they hadn't learned yet that they could trust their parents, that they could trust their adopted parents. And some of us are in that position when we're feeling anxious. We've been adopted into God's family, but we're still you know, hiding food in the napkin, thinking, oh, I, there's not enough to go around, I'm not gonna be provided for, I've gotta take these steps to protect myself. And can you imagine what it must have been like for those parents to watch those kids taking the food and hiding it? You know, They must have thought, please, relax. You're gonna be okay, we're gonna take care of you. And I have to imagine that when we're feeling anxious, sometimes God is looking at us the same way that those parents looked at those kids. Relax, it's okay, I've got you. Finally, one more way that we can renew our minds is reject futile thinking. Reject futile thinking. What is futile thinking? Futile thinking is the kind of thinking that is incapable of producing any good results. Uh, And it is a kind of thinking that definitely doesn't fit the criteria of Philippians 4. It falls woefully short of it. Here's three things that characterize futile thinking. Constant negativity... Assuming the worst about the future. Whatever the worst case scenario is, that's what you focus on. And focusing on things we can't change. Gosh, I know in my own life, I have wasted a lot of time worrying about things I couldn't do anything about. Now, none of these qualities of thinking uh, produces anything useful. And I think that those of us who have a tendency to think this way, we're doing it as a defense mechanism. It's a way of trying to protect ourselves. Because we feel like, well, if I anticipate the worst, if I think negatively, then I'll never be disappointed. If the bad thing happens, I'll, you know, I'll be okay. But here's the irony. If our worst fears come true... I don't think it matters how much time we spent anticipating them. I think we will still be disappointed. And the only thing that we will have accomplished is we will have ruined our present experience all the way up to getting to that unfortunate moment. So what have we gained, right? Our anxiety, it doesn't prepare us for the future. It very rarely helps to reduce the chances of a bad thing happening. It has one function, which is rob us of our joy and peace in the present. That's it. And I I realize I'm saying this and addressing this kind of thinking is easier said than done, right? I have struggled with this kind of thinking quite a bit myself. as our minds start to drift towards this kind of futile thinking, we need to learn to be self-reflective enough to call it out for what it is, right? It's, it's evil, right? Honestly, this is the way that demons want us to think. I really believe that. It's unproductive, it's unattractive, it damages our witness, it makes us miserable, it's filled with fear, it's self-centered, it's destructive there's definitely a sense in which it is demonic. You know, whether there's a literal demon pushing the button or not. Maybe that happens sometimes. I think it does. But, but whether it is or not, it is a demonic type of thinking. There's no way around that. And so we need to combat that futile thinking with heavenly thinking. All right? And with a healthy dose of practical wisdom. I couldn't find a Bible verse that says this, but it's true. Most of the things that we worry about don't happen. Right? That is practical wisdom and it is, it is true. Saying that isn't naive or wishful, it's just reality. And even when our fears do come true, biblical wisdom reminds us that we still know a God who promises that the best part of our story is to come. Now again, I realize doing all three of these things to renew our minds is easier said than done. Uh, it's not easy to adjust our media con- consumption. We, we develop a way of life, and we, it just becomes a routine, and it's hard to break out of that. You know, it's not easy to really recognize ourselves as adopted into God's family and, and to internalize that. It's not easy to reject uh, futile thinking because our brains get used to thinking in certain ways. And what happens is our neural pathways over time, it's kind of like uh, they develop... Uh, well-worn paths, you know, when you're walking through the woods and maybe you see a path that's not very worn, but then you see one that's more worn. And most of us are kind of inclined to just walk on the one that's more worn, that's been traveled more, because it's like, well, at least I'll have some idea of where I'm going. I know this is a safe path. I know that it leads somewhere. And when we routinely think negative thoughts, that becomes the well-worn path that our thoughts travel down in our brain. And so it can be hard to break out of that. And you need to go through a period of time, or we we need to go through a period of time, where we choose to go down the less worn path. And that takes some effort. But what happens over time is as you choose to create another neural pathway that is more positive, as the Holy Spirit helps you to do that, that eventually will become the more worn path. And the more negative pathway will start to grow grass, right? Right? and become harder to find. And your brain will be less inclined to have your thoughts travel down that way. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, our brains are elastic. They can change. New pathways can be formed. And maybe right now, negativity and anxiousness and fear is second nature for you. But if we follow the Holy Spirit's leading, we will eventually find hope, joy, and peace becoming second nature instead. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again that your will for our lives is not one of anxiety and fear and timidity, Lord, but of power and love and self-discipline. Lord, for those of us who are struggling with anxiety, I pray that we would would feel your tender correction, Lord. God, we know that you don't want to shame us, um, but you want something better for us than a life of, of anxiety. And Lord, I pray that you would renew our minds, that you would help us to break free from negative thinking that you would help us to be conscientious about what we're putting in, into our minds. And Lord, as, we, as our minds are renewed, Lord, may we become people who are more joyful, more loving, more peaceful, unusually calm people, Lord. And may you be glorified in the church as, uh, as we embody uh, that peace, Lord, that you have called us to. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you will never leave or forsake us. And we thank you that you are trustworthy. In Jesus' name, amen.